one of, one of my moderators is a clicker aficionado to the point where he owns like, I think it's like the top eight games on Steam all have like 5,000 plus hours and they're all different clickers. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And That's he has like full a good number of them playing concurrently usually. He's a clicker sommelier. Yes. No, he, he could like, he, like I've joked that he should start like a fan site about clickers or something. You know what people shouldn't start a fan site for, though, is the Halcyon Frequency Podcast. This is episode 47, I think, uh, airing December 11th, 2022. My name's Blind, and I'm back, and I'm hosting. Is this episode number correct, Jess? I don't know. I was going to say not to make a fan site. Eh, well, maybe make a fan site. I don't know. Uh, we already have a website, which is one that you can go to already, so why not just go there instead? And uh, Bloody Drongo is also here. How are you? <laughs> I'm well... Uh, I also don't have a fan site. <laughs> How about a fan wiki? Can we get that? That'd be a pretty A fan cool. wiki full of yeah. uh, Drongo lore. All of the I, best I, shoe-based drinking misadventures all in one place. I think place. there actually is a Halcyon Frequency wiki, though. <laughs> I think somebody did make that once a while ago. I, is that really mm, a thing? I, I, think, I think that exists. Fascinating. I think it's on fandom, though, so does it really count? I don't even know what that is. That's a really cra crappy free wiki hosting service that just bought like every single website in the internet. They like they own like oh, I, I think they own Giant Bomb now too. Like they they own like everything. They're... Giant Bomb. Do you not know what Giant Bomb is? No, no. I don't know. Oh. Giant Giant Bomb is a a website that uh, base that. Hmm. Okay, so on a podcast, I'm talking about one of the biggest video game podcasts. That's the thing. <laughs> so Gi Giant Bomb is a, they, they were a bunch of people that uh, either got let go or quit GameSpot around the same time. They formed a website in 2007, and instead of focusing directly on written content, like all websites at the time, they focused on video content and live stream content and streamed on their own website. Uh, and they had, I, I think it's still the most popular gaming podcast on like all gaming plat like podcast platforms which is a giant bomb cast, but at this point, none of the original staff are still there, and they all have their own Patreons now, so I still listen to all of them, except, like, in different platforms, except for the, the co-founder who unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. But, um, yeah, it's it it's one of the biggest video game wikis, uh, and uh, they have a podcast with, like, uh, over a thousand episodes probably at this point. Yeah, well, okay. I had uh, um, no idea. I don't have really any any you know chops i don't have any class when it comes to video games and video game history and uh the well, surrounding media around it yeah this is video games news media history so it's about as legitimate as you want it to be really i i, I don't know i'm a i was a big fan of them for a very 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 long time until recent years where things got a little rocky and they got bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold and a bunch of people quit so when that happened, I kind of stopped listening. But basic, I listened to their podcasts from about 2008 until about mid-2020. Wow. So you were listening to podcasts before they were cool. I've been listening. To, I, so I, I, like, I've been obsessed with video games before I was able to actually play most video games. <laughs> when did podcasts get cool? I, I don't uh, know. Like, it, it, is, it is possibly just when I was just like, oh, podcasts are a thing. I don't think they kind of kind of came onto my radar until like I want to say like 2016, 2017, but that's likely just me, honestly, living under a rock. 
the first time I heard about podcasts was a friend of mine. Uh, I can't. I think it was in Scouts actually. And the reason we were we were talking about podcasts was because it was at the time DJ podcasts were blowing up, and like people like Armin van Buren and like all of and DJ Tiesto all had podcasts, like these big like trance guys from Europe. Um, and their their podcasts were just like it. It was like an hour long radio show, so it was just like a song mixed into another song, mixed into another song two seconds of talking about what the last three songs were. And then it was just like a DJ set basically. Right. Yeah. And this was like at a time where getting music for free on the internet was difficult and music was expensive and podcasts were free. They had ads in them usually, but they were free. So it was a really easy way for kids to like get music. So we download them and then like put them into VLC media player or not VLC, uh, like a song, like an audacity equivalent and cut them up and put them onto our MP3 players and like have music because like, oh, you know, we were right. looking for, ways of getting music for free so that's how i found podcasts originally and then like uh over time like pretty quickly uh by by about 2009 uh, when i was like just getting out like after i was off of dial-up internet and onto high-speed internet i was just downloading podcasts because it was a, it was a way of getting free entertainment for when my parents shut the internet off at night yeah okay so, gotcha this, this is this is why i'm the podcast junkie who talks about podcasts all the time because i'm just like that i'm the perfect era of millennial, I guess, that like I just collided with them as they were created. And like back in the day, they were awful because you had to download iTunes and you had to download them within iTunes. So like half the time I'd be like sticking a microphone up to my computer and like recording them off of iTunes until eventually I found out that you could download them directly off of people's websites in most cases. Uh, so I just okay. download the MP3s. See, I, I think I, I, I didn't have a, an iPod until I was like, I think 18 or so. Um, and I then spent like, a couple of years just doing random stuff and then from like 2012 until like 2016 i wasn't like i was traveling a lot so i didn't really spend i mean i was online but i wasn't really kind of like ingrained in any kind of like online cultures and kind of going out of my way to discover new things i was just like just traveling all the time out of a backpack like it was just yeah so i have like this big kind of mental gap in terms of my knowledge of the internet where all of this stuff happened and I just was not paying attention. Well, me too. Yeah, I don't think I've ever <laughs> been offline. Like I, I, I had like pre-internet era me where I had friends who had internet and I would go over to their houses and I'd play games on the internet like MUDs and RuneScape and like earlier MMOs. Like I remember watching a, my cousin play EverQuest and, and uh, StarCraft and being like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, and then like, I remember, uh, like w early days of us having internet, which was just like when I was allowed on the internet for like an hour and a half, I would download as many games as possible. And so that's why I ended up playing super old games because they were small. And that's how I found a lot of like the weird, like ASCII stuff that I like is because like they were small. So I could download like five of them and like, they would hold me over for like four days until my parents would let me on the internet again. Um, but <laughs> once we finally got away from dial up, cause I had dial up until late or early 07 we didn't get high speed until oh like mid 07 um when we got high speed our high speed was actually slower than our dial-up too but the difference was i think we got didn't... we got rid of dial-up in 2009 <laughs> uh, the, the, the 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 difference was though i could be on the internet while my mom had phone calls so i, I wasn't limited to specific times of the day oh man yeah. I, I feel like we got rid of dial-up though in like 2000 yeah um, most of the people i knew got rid of dial-up in like 94 <laughs> Yeah, you got to remember that. I mean, I I grew up in like country, uh, like country Australia, so it's like 
our internet infrastructure was never the best out here to to begin with so it was like everything kind of happened like 10 years after everybody else had it happen to them you know so out of curiosity when you say like country like how far from like the nearest town with like people in it like how well, far I live from the nearest a, place in a, where you in can a buy town with people in it it's a town of about 40,000 people it's the biggest town for probably about four or five hours okay uh, probably four, four hours you. four hours because the, the the nearest big town or big city is is sydney um, which is four hours away gotcha okay because it's like where, where i grew up was like if you got in a car we were about 30 minutes from like the grocery store and we kind of i kind of lived in like what was referred to as kind of the boonies like kind of the middle of nowhere but like the for me to get to the nearest house that had a kid my age that lived in it was an hour and a half long bike ride. Um, <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Oh wow. Yeah. So, but like I could get on a bus and 30 minutes later be in town and it was a town of like 70,000 people or so, which was mm-hmm. then like a 20 minute bus ride from Vancouver. So it was like we were kind of on the outskirts of a suburb of Vancouver sort of. I or a see, small town yeah. that would okay. get mad at you if they called you a if you we called them a suburb, but yeah, yeah. 100%. The area that, that <laughs> the only claim to fame that the area that I grew up in is Linus Tech Tips named his server after it. Well, okay. Which hey, well, there you go. A very like specific reference, but I feel like I've just been hogging this whole podcast so far. <laughs> No, you're fine. Well, I, I want mean, to hear I, more I, about Jess. Your your blind spot of uh, of of internet history. Oh, I don't think it stops at internet history. I just have like a huge blind spot for like all things. Actually, I don't. I don't know how I've accomplished this. I <laughs> I have just managed to live my life so thoroughly under a rock that like most references just go right over my head. It is like absolutely a meme in my channel. It's like shock. People are shocked if I catch a reference. Like movies, TV shows. I don't know what people's names are. Like famous people. Um, like games. Memes. I, I'd have no... All, all the things. Yeah. I'm, I'm notoriously bad at pop culture. Like actor names and movie names and stuff like that. I could have well seen the movie. I could well if I looked at the picture of an actor go oh yeah i've seen them do something but i could not name them or be like oh yeah i've seen this movie and this movie oh that has such and such in it like that uh ability for people to be like oh yeah you know i watched such and such and it had you know john mc uh john mcdonald in it and it had <laughs> you know bob and oh, yeah, bob, oh, bob was really funny this time you know and, like I, that was always been like something that's just I don't have the capacity for apparently. I just don't ha- I don't absorb that information. Me neither. But I mean I also don't try to. No, neither. <laughs> it doesn't interest me. Like I don't have the comp- capacity to be interested in that for some reason. I'm not uninterested an- in it. I <laughs> I have an incredible capacity to remember things that I'm interested in. But if I don't care then yeah it's never gonna stick i i I think i just have a a really poor (laughs) 
a poor recollection of things in general. Even stuff that I care about, I will quite easily just forget stuff, which is, I don't know, probably to my detriment. I just think it's because I am a hipster at heart, and so everything that's cool, I have to reject it. That's what I'm going to go with. Oh, that <laughs> aren't so... cool. Games aren't cool. They were in my school. But no, I actually haven't, um, you know, rejected gaming and whatnot. It's just, I don't read the news, I guess. I mean, like I do, but I, I don't sit down and open up like IGN. Like, what did IGN say today? I'm, I'm like amazed that people do that. Like when you, when we post news articles and stuff in the private discord, like you do this, like you just sit down and read things. <laughs> Believe it or not, for me, usually it's I listen to a, somebody talking about it on another podcast and then go, huh, that's interesting. And then I sit down and look up the original article, pause the podcast, read the article, and then go back to listening to the podcast and figure else I, whatever else I was doing. So this is a problem that I have, too. I also can't listen to podcasts very easily at all because I just can't sit down and be focused on them. Like, I have a goal to listen to all these episodes for our podcast. This one here that we're recording now because I'm very behind. If I'm not on the episode, I just, I can't sit down and do it. I don't, I'm telling you all my dark I, secrets. I, I personally do not just ever sit down to listen specifically to a podcast. It's always something that I'll have on while I'm doing something else. So I might be, I might even be playing a, a game or something, something like uh, Worm Online where I don't really need to have like all of my attention being devoted to the podcast i'm still having my mind occupied by something else but i've still got bandwidth to kind of process what's going on or i could be like driving like those are the the main, main times that i'll actually listen to a podcast like i don't think i've ever sat down and gone right i'm gonna sit here i'm gonna enjoy this podcast like that i don't i that that's kind of weird to me i really struggle with that because i think it's the adhd though i just it's one or the other. Like if sure. if I'm doing one thing, that's that's it. You, it will just go in one ear and out the other. Even driving. So like I, when I was in college, I did listen to a podcast because it was part of our course material. And I listened to it in the car and I would have to go back and go back. And it was infuriating. Even though I was just like on auto, autopilot driving, I would just zone out. And realize, wow, this I didn't listen to five minutes of what was just said. It's always terrifying when you're driving in a car, right? And you're <laughs> you just like come to like after 20 minutes and you're just like, I have not been paying attention this whole time. How am I still alive? What is going on? How did I get here? Or is, or is that just that's me? all just like muscle memory, you know? Your brain knows what to do. The brain knows the process. Just, yeah, it's just on autopilot. Yeah, like a Tesla. Well, I think I'm going to put this podcast on autopilot. And we're going to take a real quick break. And when we return from this break, we are going to uh, be talking about the game that we've been playing this week. Um, yes. Game singular? Yeah. O only one? That, well, that se technically there is plural. There is two. There is a second game that someone else played. But we're going to be talking about game and other game uh, back right after this. Hi, hi, I am Suey. I'm not in the current episode that you are watching at the moment, 
but I would just like to say check out my stream. I play a large variety of games, mostly like indie wholesome games that are super fun. So yeah, if you'd like to check that out, make sure you do so. Anyway, back to the show. And we're back with this episode of the Halcyon Frequency Podcast, episode 47. And uh, Drongo, uh, you've got a, some, an update to your previous gameplay talks about uh, Warhammer 40,000's uh, Fat Sharks exclusive Dark Tide uh, yeah, stabby, yes, hacky, shooty, gamey thingy. Yeah. I mean, I, so I've played it uh, quite a bit more since I talked about it last time. And really the only kind of minor kind of additional thing that i wanted to comment on was i think last time i did mention just how absolutely gorgeous the environments and level buildings were and how thematically impressive they were uh having played a little bit more now i have to say i'm a little bit disappointed in the lack of mission variety within those maps even though all of the maps are absolutely s tier in my opinion there's just not enough of them uh and i've found myself kind of going into missions and it feeling a little bit repetitive which i think is just a minor note of disappointment in what could have otherwise been like absolutely you know this is a fantastic experience and they've done a great job uh not to take away from that but i just wish there was a little bit more you know So I've been watching Darktide, and I, I played Vermintide 1 a, a, a while ago, and it didn't really grab me. Like, I played the missions all once and was just kind of done. Um, and, like, mm -hmm. so, like, talking about variety, like, what what is, like, ha have you played their previous games, out of curiosity? Yeah, I have played both of the previous Vermintide games. I have to okay. say I did not love either of the previous Vermintide games. Like, there was nothing I inherently disliked about them they just were never a game that i was like oh man i'm having so much fun i can't wait to play this again there gotcha. was just something intangible missing from them that just prevented me from going back yeah yeah i, I don't know i it's it's a weird one i mean i i i've watched a good amount of it and i, and I almost wonder if I, I kind of get the feeling that they've made that game so many times now that they're kind of running out of ideas <laughs> to a degree. Like I, mm. it, it seems like a lot of big room stab thing, big room stab thing. And like the, they're trying to make a replayable, like loot game out of that. Right. And I, like, how much can you really do with that format? Like to a degree, it's like, I, I wonder if people have just played enough of those games now at this point. Cause like, I've, I've heard the, like this exact comment from a few people now. And I, I wonder if people have just played enough of this type of game that it, like, I think, like, the flash of the pan of, like, Vermintide 2 and, I guess, like, also to a degree Left 4 Dead 2. In, in, in games that have come post-Left 4 Dead 2, there's always, like, this problem of, like, oh, there's not quite enough variety. Or it's like, oh, man, I could just go play the other one that had more variety. And it's like, I'm hearing that a lot about Dark Tide, and I think that that's kind of unfortunate. But I, I hope that it's something that they're able to remedy over time. Yeah, I think, honestly, like... In terms of this style of format game, I would say it's the best best version of this style of game that I've played in a very, very, very long time. Like the 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 combat is it feels very, very satisfying. The gunplay feels very satisfying. There's a really good variety and really well thought out variety between the different characters, and they all bring something unique to the 
to the table. Um, and I would say that's probably the main selling point in terms of what differentiates itself from the rest of the kind of the genre of Left Dead style games. Um, but I do think, you know, when you, th like, I think I've played somewhere between the region of like 15 to 20 hours now of Dark Tide. And during that time, I think I've played maybe four or five maps, four maps in total. Uh, they have slightly different layouts sometimes, but it is still the same map. And even though they are really good, the, you know, 20 hours is a, a, a long time to spend on the same the exact same map and i mean even if you look at games and compare it to something like left for dead 2 for example you had i forget how many levels exactly but each of the levels then had different stages within them that all had their own unique pathing and and level design and everything like that so you had uh, already a much bigger design and that's something uh, like variety in levels um that and that's something that dark tide lacks unfortunately at least at the moment uh it is definitely something that is within their power to remedy um it's whether or not they're going to want to put that same level of investment into making new maps um i hope they do yeah hopefully they they get there but um while we're on the kind of warhammer forty thousand flavoring here um you got to the chance to to play some rogue trader owlcat crpg so I uh did. curious about this one yeah so uh rogue trader has just come out as uh an alpha um so i've got a key of that i've played a little bit of it now so it is a crpg um so just a real classic role-playing game and as far as i know this is probably one of the first slash most modern uh classic rpg setting uh games that has uh been set in the 40k universe which i am totally here for like i've always enjoyed the idea of playing um you know some kind of continuous rpg game tabletop uh like necromunda or the actual rogue trader game uh but i've never i've never had the the uh you know the ability to actually play it with uh with friends or anything like that so these this op uh gives me a unique opportunity to actually um kind of delve into that universe in an rpg setting and i'm i'm really excited for it it's it's still early alpha there are definitely some problems with it but for me this is something that was absolutely up my alley and i am i'm very very happy with it so far that's good to hear. Um, so Alucat's games in the past have like had like notorious issues with like kind of late game balance and like the games just like falling apart at the seams as they get further and further along in their games. And like I remember watching uh, the one of the most recent Pathfinder games and like Bellinara teammate playing it and like just he had this build that had not only completely broken like the visuals of the game because he had like this re self replicating dragon thing that like was clipping through itself oh as it walked around, but also, like, was running incredibly poorly and just, like, crumbling at the seams. So considering, like, this is a closed alpha that you've got access to, like, like how how does it feel in its current state? Like, do, do, you, do you think that... Um, do, do you think it's on a good path to be, like, getting to release in a way that will 
feel good and look good and not just fall apart or are you just too early to tell I think it's a little bit too early to tell for me. I, I also have to say I haven't played Alcat's previous titles. Um, I think if I had to, you know, visually speaking in terms of how it runs and how it feels, probably the closest comparison I could draw is probably say like Divinity Original Sin 2 is gotcha. kind of the aesthetic and feel of the overall game in terms of how it kind of flows that's what it reminds me of even though it is an entirely different setting uh and that's a good that's a plus for me because i absolutely adore the the divinity original sin games um so yeah uh, i'll report back once i played some more and as the alpha progresses but um you know i'm i'm cautiously optimistic i think but again I am definitely the target, the exact target audience for this style of game. So I'm definitely going to be probably unfairly positive uh, to a fault um, <laughs> with that in mind. No, totally. But also like this is a this is a closed alpha for a pretty unfinished game. And also like, um, you know, uh, and like you said, you're the target audience and this is like preview style coverage, right? So it's just like poke. It's like, how, how does it feel? Like, do, do you think it's going to fall apart at the seams or does it feel good? Um, like combat wise, what what's the what's the combat style on this one? Out of curiosity. Uh, so it it is like turn based. Um, kind of, kind of. Okay. If you think of like XCOM style turn based, it, that's probably the best analogy that I can give. Okay. Um, okay, I, I get Given you. that it's was... a fairly ranged, um, you know, universe setting with lots of firearms. Yeah, I, I was curious because like uh, the past few. Owlcat games have had like this uh, well I mean, admittedly they've been Pathfinder games right so they've had like the real time like it plays out in a timeline style combat uh, but they've also had like the real time pause stuff with like pseudo turn based stuff which is odd but also interesting um, so I, I was just kind of curious as to which direction they were going with that but that, that sounds neat yeah no, looking forward to hearing more about that as it as that develops but um, we've got this um, like massive uh, wall of video game on this list of stuff to talk about and me and drongo have been talking a lot recently so jess talk to me about dwarf fortress i can do that but no okay i'll talk about dwarf fortress <laughs> i was gonna say but i have something else i wanted to talk about <laughs> oh, then, then talk about the thing you want to talk about then. that's fine it's a complete completely derailing this whole segment do it okay derail it so while you guys were talking about Warhammer and I was just like, how many Warhammer games are there? I started thinking about like, what, like what problem I have, what, what is my issue, you know, with reading things. Then I realized, you know, when I was a kid, I loved gaming magazines. I think my issue is that when I go on the internet, I get distracted too easily. And so if I like sit down, I'm like, I'm going to read something. Just boom, distracted. Don't, you remember like old gaming magazines? I, oh yeah, those were yeah. amazing. I loved reading I, those. I never actually got one. My parents were very anti-video games, and they still are. Um, so I, I, I always would zzz, like covet my friends' video <laughs> game magazines when I'd go over to their house. I'm like, oh my god, there's this world where you've got you've got all these things that happen, and oh my god, there's all this information here. Oh, that's so cool. Um, it was always mind blowing to me. They were very cool. 
I can't yeah, I, I can't I, imagine like not being allowed to play games. <laughs> I was I, like I eight years old with Grand Theft Auto Three. <laughs> I never had subscriptions to gaming magazines, but uh, the library had a big stack of PC Mag and a big stack of Nintendo Power, which I would take out. My mom would be like, "Go get books," and I'd come back with like fifteen copies of Nintendo Power and like a bunch of PC gaming mag and video games. Uh, I think it was called Video Games and Entertainment was another one. Um, or maybe it was called like Electronic Computers and Entertainment or something. Anyway, there was so- something in entertainment. And then there was uh, Edge Magazine was another one that I would get at the library. I would just like get these like big, like old gaming magazines. A Eurogamer was another one. Um, yeah, yeah, I miss magazines. I, I, I would read those. It's not that I don't want to read things. It's like, I think I just get too distracted like by all the stimulus on the internet. It's too easy. ADHD yeah. checking in again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of checking in again, <laughs> time to check in with Dwarf Fortress. So, Jess, talk to me about Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> Are you sure? Because, I mean, I could derail this again, but okay. <laughs> I mean, actually, you know, speaking of rails, I actually was watching your, uh, like, minecart tutorial and was like, mm, this makes no sense. Um, well, without playing it. <laughs> so, I was I mean, like, I'm going to come back to this later. I realized I was screwing something up after today's stream and had to go consult the wiki. So, <laughs> I um, I have been very eager for the Dwarf Fortress team release, which is the, I guess you call it premium, the premium release with a GUI, a graphical user interface, and I am not disappointed. I almost wished that I had tried before because the three days that I've played now have just been like this is awesome but whenever i looked at the ascii version it was just like my eyes would glaze over and my brain would just start exploding you know yeah i like like i said earlier in this you know like i I got into ascii stuff pretty early so it was never the ascii that scared me away um i mean the first time i actually played dwarf fortress was in about 2009 when i was finding all of those games um but even I, back in the day, bounced off it. Like, I, I, was, I started and I was like, ah, you know, I'll just go back to playing whatever other game I was playing at the time. Like, uh, usually it was uh, Adom or uh, some variant of Angband. But those games aside, like, I, it, it took me a very long time. And, and the reason I, I didn't ever stream it sooner was I just assumed nobody would watch it. I was like, every other streamer on Earth back in, before this version came out, and even before this version was announced, like... I just was kind of under the opinion, I'm like, nobody's going to want to watch it. And my chat just started pestering me in like 2018. They're like, do it. Hey, we know that you've been trying fortress. to learn this. We, we know <laughs> that you've been learning this. Because like, every, every now and again, I would post a screenshot on Twitter of like something I was doing in Dwarf Fortress. And people would be like, so when are you going to stream that? And I'd always be like, probably never. <laughs> um, well, let then, me tell you. <laughs> and then somebody, I, I can't even remember what it was. Like, I, I think like I was in, it was like post RimWorld release or something like RimWorld had released and my channel had gotten partnered and had had like that massive crash that a lot of channels get after getting partnered. And my view counts had tanked and I was basically just kind of accepting that my streaming career was going to end in the next like six months. And so I just started streaming Dwarf Fortress all the time because I was like, well, I, I want to learn this game. And so this oh, is my the opportunity irony to learn of the it. whole thing. Yeah, I was like, I'm going <laughs> to learn this game at like the end of 2018, beginning 2019. And uh, chat can help me do it properly. Like, you know, I know enough to like build a small base, but like not 
and a small fort, but like not enough to actually play the game competently. And like, you know, I post my stream on the subreddit and I have 30, 40 viewers and like Halcyon frequency was getting going, but I was basically like accepting the fact that my stream was going to perish. Like I, I was just accepting my fate and nobody raids Dwarf Fortress streamers. And then something happened. They announced the premium edition. And like 20 in the uh, like spring 2019 after I'd been streaming the game for like, you know, eight months or whatever. Was it that like, long ago? Yeah, it was. The, they didn't start working on it until 2020. But yeah, they, they announced it in 2019. Oh, my gosh. Where's the time going? They actually apparently signed the paperwork to get the whole project going in beginning of 2018 and started discussing it in 2017. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, so it's been in the works for a while. But, like, yeah, no, I, I started streaming it back then, and just, like, it, it that gave the channel enough of a bump that I was able to survive that really crappy summer, and then, like, and then it just slowly trickled up after that. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I first played Dwarf Fortress about, I think, about nine or ten years ago, and I sat down after i think a, a friend of mine uh dilsey he he told me some stories about dual fortress i'm like man that sounds really cool and he's like yeah you should learn it i've been following this guy and he sent me through this like word doc which was basically like a step-by-step -step guide on how to kind of set up your your fortress and it had a couple of screenshots in it um and so I basically spent, and it was like about, I think about 20, 20 to 30 pages long. And so I basically spent probably the best part of like two weeks, just going through page by page, trying to follow this, this word guide that I'd printed off. Uh, and I did kind of okay learning it. Um, and I, and I had some reasonable success. I don't remember exactly how well it went, but I don't remember it being a complete disaster but the disaster happened when after that two-week period of me sitting down and being like right i'm going to learn how to play this game and then putting it down i think for about a month or so maybe a little bit longer and then coming back to the game and being like right i'm gonna play this i remember how this works and then loading it up and going I remember how nothing works <laughs> and then going, then picking up this guide that I had again and going, yeah, you know what? I, I, I can't be bothered. And then I put it back down again until the steam release. And I've also been having a simply wonderful time. The game is so much more accessible now. And there's definitely moments where it's like, yeah, this is still an old, really janky game under the hood, but, it is so much better than it was, and uh, yeah. I'm really pleased. I have to say, I admire Young Drongo's perseverance in trying to learn. I imagine if that if I had been in your shoes, I would not have gotten nearly as far. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I I tried to do it without any guides or anything because, like, I didn't like reading when I first tried, and for Oof. me, it was like I would down I would download the game, I would open it up, I would generate a world, I would start playing, and I would last for about. 20, 30 minutes usually until I just get frustrated and alt F4 and then I would think about it a bunch and then I would like try again. And I it like lasted for like, a, it was like this weird year process where like I would get a little bit further every time and eventually give up and just delete the game. And then I would, <laughs> six months later, I'd read an article about it or I'd see a post on a forum about it or someone would mention it. I tried again. 
and then it would, it would snap back again and I'd give up again. And then like, I think Total Biscuit mentioned it a bunch of times on the Co-Optional podcast like ages ago. And I'm like, oh man, I should, I should, I should try that, that game again. That, was, that thing was neat. And then I'd try it and then I'd just hit a wall and I'd be like, nah, I give up again. <laughs> but like, even when I, when I was trying to learn it um, on stream in 2018, I was trying to do it in concert with RimWorld too, and like other games, I was trying to play. I was I was still doing Roller Coaster Tycoon stuff sometimes. And I was still playing mm-hmm. uh, and other things, and like I was trying to play other games around. I, I had one day a week it was Fridays that I was doing Dwarf Fort, and I, it was like six weeks of that. And I eventually was just like, screw it, I'm just gonna play Dwarf Fort. And I think I played Dwarf Fort for like three months straight. Like I just there there was a point where just like my brain snapped, and I was just like. I'm just going to play this game now. And if my channel dies, <laughs> so be it. And I just started playing. And like the only thing that kept my channel afloat was this stream team and like my own, like, I don't know, uh, stupidity, I guess. And just like determination, just pl- learning to play this game. Cause I couldn't think about anything else. It got to a point where I was like, I, I can't think about anything but this game. That's been me since Tuesday. (laughs) Okay, so on Tuesday, I loaded the game up. And like the first thing I do, usually I spend like an hour just chatting with my um, my community and stuff. And so like 30 minutes in, I'm like, I'm just going to put this tutorial on in the background. And it was your like your very first Let's Play tutorial and got like halfway through it or at least to the part where you like generate characters. And I was like, nope, we're doing it. (laughs) We're just going to start. And the the whole stream was just like jam like butting my head into a wall like what is happening in this game what is this where what are all these things in the menu this is so different from RimWorld <laughs> and so like I ended up like getting a headache and like all night I had a headache and I was like I think this is a door fortress headache I think my brain literally <laughs> melted and. So I went to bed on Tuesday, I woke up and I was like, okay, now I feel much better. And I was like super excited to get into it. And like, it started clicking on Tuesday. And mm-hmm. I just, so I was still in my tutorial for it. So we just messed around, tried out a bunch of stuff. And yes, if you've seen my VODs or like saw me playing it, I made like a huge mistake with my staircases and it just kind of became a thing. The grand stair lands and everything. <laughs> <laughs> the Great Stairlands. Yeah. Can you regale us with the story of the Great Stairlands? Because I, I just love a good Dwarf Fortress story. Uh, okay, I'd so... To, I'd love to hear it. The way that I thought it, it worked, just because I, I hadn't, like, watched a tutorial on how to do stairs, I was thinking that, like, when you placed your, um, like, stair blueprint, the... Where you started your cursor, that would be like your first step. And where you ended it would be the bottom step to your whatever layer you were trying to drop it on. And it would make mm-hmm. like incremental steps down. Kind of like a ramp. Um, and then I realized, oh, no, that's not the case. But So I was playing the tutorial and the tutorial locked out the eraser tool until much further in. So I'm sitting here like, I have a bajillion staircases and I can't delete them. And so like, my dwarf just made all of them. And Wait. so I ended up with... <laughs> Wait. <laughs> so you... Wait, so why did you place so many staircases? I don't understand. Because <laughs> I thought I was making... I, I was trying to make a grand staircase, like, down into my oh, hall. So I wanted okay, it to be, like, I this see. big, wide, grandiose... <laughs> 
staircase <laughs> instead it ended up being like a 20 by like or oh maybe like 30 God. i don't know like so many stairs oh that is too funny i love that i mean i had a i had a stair related incident last night actually trying to work out how stairs went so i've actually i mean uh I, I've gone out of my way not to watch any guides because I wanted to come at the game from the perspective of, is this now actually a more intuitive version of the game? And does the in-game tutorial and guides, are they enough information to let you actually play the game? And the answer to that is kind of, and there is parts that are that. definitely lacking out of it, but it's much, much better than it was before. Uh, but I was trying to remove some staircases so I could replace them with a different material. And I had multiple occasions where my dwarves would remove the staircase that they needed to get back up onto the layer above them. Because apparently that's how that works. Yep. And then you're just left with an opening uh, that goes down that doesn't get removed either. It's just, just a hole that goes down to the bottom layer. So you just have to build floors over, <laughs> floors over it and pretend it doesn't exist anymore. Um, yeah. So after entombing <laughs> several dwarves, uh, we managed to work out how that mechanic worked. It was good. Well, that's why I ended up leaving the stairs because, you know, I asked chat, like, can I get rid of the stairs? Yeah. Okay, well, will there just be a hole there? Yes. Jess, there will just be holes. You'd have to put floors down. And I was like, so I'm just going to be like out in the forest with all these trees and then like floors. And it didn't make any sense. So I just left them. Very fair. For, for me, the process of going from, you know, the old cumbersome classic game to premium was... I, I, so I, I got key the Friday before the game came out. I, I was one of the rare... I was one of like a single digit lucky people who got it early. And when I got it on the Friday, I was just sitting there and it was at the first five hours, which I recorded most of it and I've deleted most of the footage now because it wasn't really usable. But like the, the first four hours was the biggest test of my own patience that I think I've ever <laughs> yeah, encountered. I was wondering because, how that like, would have gone for you. I knew what, I know where every, I know what every menu in the game does. Like whenever I find it, I, I know what the menu does. The problem is finding it. And mm. I went into the tutorial and made it to the point where I realized that, oh, they're locking off stuff. So I literally alt f would the game. Um, went, went to like, like uh, save manager and just closed the whole game. Restarted the thing. Started without the tutorial. Um, yep. And started playing. And it, it was fine because like I I'd watched all the preview footage. Like I, I had a pretty good idea of the way the game was going to work. But like none of none of the hotkeys worked for some reason the mouse wheel is inverted by default um all of like the the ui is actually like weirdly similar to the way it was like all of the 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 workshop ui is actually very like it's it's in a different place now it's like a like kind of centered in the middle of the screen instead of on the right side of the screen but like the buttons are all like in almost the same place as they were in the old ascii grids and so when I like got into workshops and stuff, things were super easy, but there's a few screens I still haven't found. Like there's a, there's a few screens that I know exist and people have told me they exist in this version of the game that I can't find. And it's like knowing everything that I knew going into it is, and by, by like 
that by the time that like five hours of like extraordinary frustration was over of just like I have this incredible opportunity to like record a ton of stuff and get stuff up on day stuff up on day one and I can't bungle this. I need to I need to pull this off. I need to do this right. There was a point where I just kind of realized, oh, this is the exact same video game that I'm playing. Like nothing has changed. Except like obviously there's some changes because it's a new patch and like some stuff has been moved around and some events are different and like the 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 way certain things interact with the player is different and like but not, like the vast majority of it is the same game. Once I kind of came to that conclusion and I realized like where half of the menus are and like what one of the most frustrating ones for me was like there used to be three different delete buttons. There was like delete designation, delete planning, Q delete to delete buildings, and uh, also the delete constructed items button, which were all different buttons. Three of them are on one button now, and the other one is the mouse button. And it's like, and then there's the eraser tool, which is kind of new, but also not new. And it's, I, it took, it, I was trying to figure out how to delete a building the first day. And I actually had to like DM the, one of the Reddit mods, Clinodev. I was like, do you, where, who I knew was in the beta. I was like, where is this button? <laughs> like just where is this button and he sends me a screenshot of it and he's like oh don't worry about it i had to ask the dev team where it was too oh no like, there there was like just this and it's the, it's the stairs button with the little crossy on it and yeah. him and we had a back and forth about it we were, we were talking about it. it's like man that's terrible they need to make that easier to find he goes oh don't worry no anybody who's never played the game before isn't gonna have a problem with it and i was like well right i mean to a degree <laughs> probably <laughs> I, I definitely did have problems with that. And I think the, the, the big problem that I had was with that with that button wasn't necessarily finding it because the, the little tool tip that mouses, when you mouse over it tells you, you know, what it affects. But it's the, when you actually use it, there's no kind of feedback that tells you you've used it on a thing. So I was sitting there going, oh, it's not working and trying to, I think it was removing walls or something. Uh... And I was like, it's not removing it. It doesn't do anything. It, you know, there's no you know visual feedback that I've now ordered this wall to be deconstructed. Like, you know, how you would have an area that's designated for mining and you have a little icon that comes up and, you know, you know you've elected that area to mine, but there's nothing that comes up. And I'm just like, after like 10, 15 minutes of going, why is this not working? It's, this button says this should do this. Why does it not work? And chat's like, oh, we don't know. We, it's like, it should work, right? And then it turns out it was working the whole time. I just didn't have any visual feedback that it was working. <laughs> I just so kind of gave up and was like, I'll press play. And then somebody came along and removed the wall. <laughs> so the thing is, it does have a visual feedback, but not until you unpause the game. <laughs> And the oh, button, okay. and it's it's one of those buttons where it you you usually pause when you're going to go do something like that, right? Like just yeah. instinctively. And so it does put a little X on the building, but it doesn't tell you that there that until you unpause the game because the game has to tick forward for the graphic piece to appear. Yeah. But like, what's even better is if you have keyboard control turned on, which I did have turned on initially because of like muscle memory, right? Um, and there is a keyboard cursor that you can use to like build and stuff. Um, when I had that turned on initially i it there there is none whatsoever if you have the keyboard there was a bug where like it, it if you have the keyboard cursor turned on or something like there that doesn't pop up even when you unpause oh so like i think like that has been fixed as of this point like i tested it last night and it it happens now so either i just didn't notice it or like it wasn't there in the first place i'm convinced it wasn't there 
Um, it's like it's stuff like that. Like I, I don't know. It's it's still held together with staples, zap straps, and duct tape and chewing gum. But like yeah. it's, it, it, I I guess the impression that I'm getting from the two of you is that it is approachable enough at this point. Yeah, I think because I've played a lot of a lot of games like RimWorld that I've kind of built up an understanding of you know how to actually play the game in terms of managing it and how to set up work orders for example that was something that was you know setting up the conditions where that would trigger is something that i have you know bought over my experience in rimworld and like okay well you know if it if it meets these particular criteria then we'll make this and you know then it'll be you know it, it'll be fine um that all makes a lot of sense to me uh but yeah there's definitely little things here and there like i said earlier that you can just you, you still know it's the same thing under the hood and it's still you know a bit janky but it is just approachable enough that it's and, and just friendly enough and visually friendly enough that uh i'm interested and i'm engaged and i think also from a viewership perspective as well there are people that haven't played dwarf fortress before but are now interested in it because you're no longer looking at when you first tune in you're no longer looking at just a wall of ascii and being like i i don't know what's going on here and i'm not going to stick around to find out uh now it actually makes sense to people visually from a viewership viewership perspective as well which is great yeah it's like it's it's no longer the 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 visuals of it you know the, the thing that i've i've been saying about dwarf fortress for literal years at this point is the game isn't hard. It's obtuse. It's just now it's significantly less obtuse. It's still obtuse, but it's significantly less obtuse. Um, previously, it's like it was just... It, it was difficult to learn because of the barrier of learning what you're looking at. Yeah. Uh, I think as well, the, the, the main thing that I'm really impressed with is just how good the soundtrack is. It is absolutely glorious i love it i absolutely it's a great the soundtrack menu music even is, i was just sitting there and i've spent the last two streams just sitting in the main menu <laughs> listening to the music chatting with people before jumping into the game for like i don't know like half an hour at least because it's just like this is a vibe yeah so do, do you know the story behind the soundtrack i don't know well so apologies if i get some dates wrong to anybody listening but um so the original soundtrack for dwarf fortress is like a six minute loop and it's just it's tarn recording into a webcam microphone on his laptop doodling on his guitar <laughs> um so programmer of the game doodling into his guitar um and then there is a there's a diff there's the uh intro music which is like a very short like dan dan kind of like loop as well which is just a little midi thing um and that that's all the game was for years and it's a weirdly good little loop like you can hear like like audible static from the crappy recording quality you can hear like all kinds of things but it, it gives the game kind of a vibe right that loop that melody that he plays is the in is the main menu music for dwarf fortress now that's great um, i love that's that. cool but it's been remastered by somebody named chef dabu who um is works for a company called co-op who made a game called Nog and uh, several other games and has been a composer in the industry for a little bit now. Um, alongside of another composer named Simon Schwerer, who I'm convinced I butcher the, use, the name of every time I say, uh, who wrote a soundtrack called Songs for Door Fortress in uh, about between 2009 and 2012. 
uh, which was considered a fan soundtrack, and they're a recording artist from South Africa. And uh, they um, put together this collection of like about 15 songs for Dwarf Fortress, all themed after events and things in the, in the game, uh, using the actual Dwarven language to sing it and everything. Um, and a lot of those songs were things like Kogan's Son, which is directly translates to Boat Murdered, which is one of the most legendary Dwarf Fortress uh, mm-hmm. playthroughs, which is, I think, actually the song that plays when you lose in Dwarf Fortress, like you're, you're in, in the game now, which is Kogan's Son, basically. It's like this very somber, almost dirge-like sound. Oh. Um, I've, and, not, I've not lost yet, so I look okay. forward to hearing it. But, like, there, there's a lot of the tracks in the game are remastered versions of those, of that free soundtrack. So if you want, like, more prototype, less professional, but also equally as catchy versions of some of the songs, you should go listen to the SoundSense tra- soundtrack as well, because it's also very good. Um, so it's that, plus a, a third composer who I can't remember the name of, unfortunately. And um, the, the three of them kind of came together and uh, apparently was just, like, harangued by a few of the uh the like kit fox was pestered and pestered and pestered by one of the uh form mods who is clenodev um to bring on simon to get him to record apparently a, a, allegedly originally he refused because he didn't want to take zach and tarn's money but they were like no it's kit fox paying for this it's not zach and tarn paying for this. it's kit fox so he agreed and came on and uh uh helped remaster the soundtrack uh as as well as write some new songs for it like uh, the drinking industry, the, the the banger that plays in the tavern sometimes is uh, that's a brand new song. Um, so a lot of them are new songs, but some of them are also like remastered version of old fan music. That's super that's cool. That's great. I love that they've pulled on that, uh, you know, that history of the game and the original kind of vibe and stayed true to that. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, it's some something that I think is kind of like just absolutely awesome. I, I think that that Kit Fox kind of killed it really um but like i i never really expected it to do as well as it's doing i knew that it would do well right like there's a a subreddit with like 125,000 people in it, which is growing by like a thousand people a day right now um that has existed for the game for ages and you know it wasn't the most active subreddit it was kind of like a sleeper subreddit every now and again something would blow up on there and get really big but like generally it was like it was a pretty chill subreddit not super super busy but like busy enough um so like the games had like a really big following and it's always kind of like i i didn't expect it would take off as quickly as it has i'll say that but um i'm really happy for everybody at kit fox like i think that they've kind of they've done the community good right, with this thing and they've made a really good version of a very strange game. Yeah, you know, I'm not at all surprised how quickly it's blowing up, to be honest, because it is much more accessible now. I think that it would be a very difficult game to get into if you had never played Colony Sim or a management sim before. Because definitely, like like Drongo was saying, my RimWorld knowledge and my knowledge of other games that have been you know, derived from the RimWorld formula have totally made it much easier to get into. And I don't know that I could otherwise, but it's just so much more approachable with the graphics. The sounds are good. And really like my favorite thing about it is that it's so sandboxy. I I love it. I love that you can just like kind of live your life and the game isn't slowly making a list of your deeds, whether they're noble or nefarious and calculating and storing points and 
trying to decide what to do next. The helper hinder, and you can you can just you can just live. It's great. Yeah. It's so appealing. Or, or you could have a fort like mine where you get a little bit too ambitious with your first fort attempt on stream and then get mauled to death by giant chinchillas only to find out that it was actually a bug that got patched on the second day. Uh because uh, apparently <laughs> fishing was so there's a there's a new mechanic that's been added which is uh, agitation and it's specific to the untamed wild biomes and apparently also the wilderness biomes but I haven't seen it too much in the wilderness biomes. It's specific to the untamed wild biomes and the untamed wilds ag agitation mechanic is essentially just it when you if you're building and building and building all of the cavern layers have this mechanic but specifically untamed wilds have it on the surface. If you're building and building and building the wildlife will just start to attack you after a little bit. Um, and they'll come in, not in waves necessarily, but the, the ones that are wandering through the area, if there's too much constructed stuff on the map, they'll, too much value worth of it constructed stuff on the map, they'll attack you, right? Specifically like the big variants and the, the big mean ones, right? Which isn't too dissimilar to the way the, the evil biomes work with like zombies and stuff where they'll just kind of slowly circle in and eventually attack you. Um, but they're big fleshy things that can be cooked. So they're not as bad because you do get like a benefit from them if you can't hunt them, but they're brutal. And apparently they got some a couple extra zeros put on to just fishing. <laughs> I was doing almost nothing on the surface, but I was fishing. And so my entire fortress of like 15 dwarves or whatever just got swarmed by, I want to say, like 12 giant chinchillas or something that, oh, you know, geez. they're the size of a large bear. <laughs> and it's like these things just come, came running in and just mauled my dwarves. I'm like, well, okay, I guess I'm not playing in an untamed wild biome now. Those are too hard. And then the next day I see a patch note, it's like, so uh, we fixed fishing to stop breaking untamed wilds biomes. It's like, god damn it. <laughs> Death by cute fuzzy murder thing. <laughs> I like that it was chinchillas and not like something actually means so that I could laugh mm. at it. Yeah. I did have a, a flock of giant keas come down and oh, no. and and steal everything just about from the visiting trader during my Perfect. first uh my first well first i guess autumn coming into winter and it's the game tutorials like buy some food from the trader and i'm i scuffed the trading um and they wouldn't trade with me anymore and then the birds stole everything they had anyway so i was just <laughs> no. like well guess i'm gonna forage for some food since i can't buy any yeah kids are notoriously hated amongst dwarf fortress players I haven't had anything bad like that happen, except um, one of my dwarves, had, uh, a strange mood came upon him, and chat was like, oh, yay, strange mood, and I was just like, well, I don't know, what, what's happening? And so, the, you know, like, the fey mood, the strange, the strange mood, they fall into it, and then they go and gather materials, they claim a bench, and they make something. Or so I thought. I I thought that you know this this dwarf had everything he needed. He did not. And so by the time I like got the jewels set up for him and started cutting some gems, he was just like, "Nope, I'm in a state of melancholy," which apparently means that he's going to commit suicide, and it's like really terrible. You can't stop it uh -huh. from happening. Uh huh. Yeah. It's a it's a damn shame yes. that. I'm just like. <laughs> Where's the hotline? This is terrible. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, just drop a brick on his head. He'll be fine. Oh, I, like, I don't even know what happened to begin with. I, like, 
they won't explain to me like what the strange mood is just that if when they fall into it you must give them access to everything they need or they'll go and die yeah <laughs> just like um, what at least it went melancholic and not berserk yeah that's kind of the fear that i had was because i was like i had heard stories about people being possessed and that was what has happened to me i think i've had three possessions now so they're 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 who were they possessed by well they're, they're, i don't know so there's there's varying types of strange mood i can just like explain all this to you if you want but like, yeah there's varying types of strange mood so there's like there's fey moods there's possessions there's fell um there's uh the, the, there's the, the one other one which is positive um so there's the positive moods are like fey moods and strange mood just normal strange moods and those ones they get skills out of it so the item that they complete the type of item that they complete is their uh that becomes their their talent they become legendary in that talenting so let's just say it's a metalsmith and they claim the metalsmith's workshop and they make a sword right mm. um let's say they make it out of bones leather iron and a gem right they make a sword then they'll become a legendary weaponsmith if it's a possession then it's supposedly a past dwarf that didn't create their artifact possessing them from the afterlife and they're creating their past oh, artifact and okay. they don't gain any skills from it it's that past dwarf who's dead or whatever people's headcanon is um and then there's fell moods which is when they go into a mood but they're also the lowest level of depressed which is like the really angry face um and they have the little mad head thing above them at which point they go grab another dwarf stab them to death immediately uh snap their neck and make them into an artifact um it's <laughs> uh real good when it's just like oh great you made a thong out of a dwarf how did you even do that <laughs> like or like you, you made a you made a chair out of that dwarf or you made a crown out of that dwarf or you made a sword out of that dwarf or whatever Amazing. um uh, and so essentially what it is is when they're making the the strain the the artifact they if you select the actual um the the workshop that they've claimed or actually if they're just wandering around if they go into a strange mood and they're wandering around look at what their highest skill is and that's usually the one that they want um mm. build that workshop if they if you haven't already built it um and then they'll claim it and then once they've claimed it if they just sit there you can select the workshop and it'll blink through what they're muttering. They're muttering or they're scribbling or they're, yeah. they're either drawing pictures, muttering or saying something. And they usually cycle through the approximation of what they need. So it'll be like bars shining, which usually means like metal bars or like gems shining or gems rough or uh, is scratching pictures of uh, a forest. So they want trees or like they stacks of cloth or, or varying things. Or sometimes they'll be very specific and they'll be like cloth yarn. The higher the value of your fortress, usually the more items they want because they have more stuff accessible to them. Um, mm. And so they, and it's sometimes they draw from their personal likes and dislikes. They don't always do that. Um, it, there's a lot of like different conditions and stuff that can cause them to go for different things. Um, but it's it's really just kind of a matter of having stuff available. Like I very rarely fail them. It's it's quite funny seeing people who have developed metas around not fully understanding how the mechanics works. And that's one of the reasons why you'll see people who just like have workshops all in their own separate rooms with doors on either end. Because like if they don't immediately go and grab stuff, they just lock them in the room and let them die. <laughs> Which is like, okay, sure. But like if you're aware of how the mechanics works, it's not that difficult to just make sure that you have one of everything available at most times. And then mm -hmm. they'll be able to just get what they need and you'll get the cool artifact 
Yeah, that's why I'm I, glad that there's the work orders where you can just say, okay, well, as long as I leave X amount of raw material here in case we need it, then that's you know what I'm happy with. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I failed a few yesterday because I, or two actually, because I kept on having dwarves want glass and I had no sand uh. on my map and we were besieged and I had no traders and so I couldn't buy sand to get glass. So without sand on your map, you're just kind of SOL. So like, you know, always have a few sandbags around. Always have, like, some yarn cloth, some silk cloth, and some plant cloth, you know? Like, have at least two logs, you know? Have one metal bar, kind of. hmm I just feel so bad for Garrett, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I clicked on, I clicked on his so workbench. <laughs> I clicked on his workbench, and Garrett was, you know, scribbling about gems, drawing pictures of gems, and I was like, oh! Okay, he needs gems. We get the workshop up, and like, right then, right then he's like, "I'm I'm super depressed, melancholy." She's like, "Oh, oh no!" But I had these for you, like, literally seconds. Yep. Yeah, I know. I've I've had that happen too. Uh, Poor Garrett. One of my most memorable strange moods I had was, I had this. I I was building a fort in the cavern layers. This this was long time ago, years ago now. Building a fort in the cavern layers and. Um, I had a, a dwarf that started, that wanted, uh, I think it was a metal bar and I had no metal yet and I hadn't even set up forges or anything. So I, I had no, I had no metal working industry. I was like, oh God, like Storf wants metal. So I threw, I threw like a, a forge together and I'm putting stuff together real quickly. And like, I wasn't as good at the game at this point. So I was, it was a much more slower process. I was like, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to melt this down so I can make this thing. And I finally I got on the metal bar and he goes... Dwarf, I think his name was Dastot. He just runs over to the the workshop, picks it up, runs back, get the notification that he's starting his artifact. I'm like, yes, we got it. And a troll vaults over my wall on the edge of the thing, smashes the workshop, and the dwarf goes berserk and kills the troll. (laughs) And then, like, got to death by all my dwarves. Well, because, like, I had a one-layer high wall in the caverns, and trolls can climb walls pretty effectively, and I just, like, climbed up the side of the wall, jumped into the fort, and just, like, like, just top, because they're building topplers, so they can topple stuff, and he just toppled the the workbench, and the the dwarf just, like, freaked out and just strangled (laughs) this troll to death, and then, like, you know, went crazy and tried to kill all my dwarves, too, but, like, one of the most memorable, uh, like, failures I think I've ever had. That's amazing. But yeah, no, honestly, like it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, I think, why Dwarf Fortress is cool unless other people have played it. And I can't fully explain how frustrating it's been the last four and a half years of streaming this game and just being told time and time again by people going, nah, it's too much work. It's like, but there's so much here. Well, I think that's like one of the things, and I think that's one of the reasons why it has kind of taken off is that there's a lot of people like me that are interested in the game that love like hearing about and reading the stories. Like I, you know, I've, you know, I love the story about like the cats that would die of alcohol poisoning in the inn because they're (laughs) licking their paws and like boat murdered and all of that stuff. Like I was, even though I hadn't played the game in like nine years, I was still interested in it. I would still, you know, come across like Reddit articles or like stories online and other people who were actually playing the game and, and listen to their stories and be like, oh yeah, this sounds really cool. I love that. And then knowing that I did just really did not want to play it. I feel like there's a lot of people that are like me that are like, man, this game is cool, 
but it is not for me right now. But this yep. is like the That's time me. where it's like, okay, now I can immerse myself in this world, which is, yeah, which is why it's taking off because it's like, it's not so much more people are just discovering it now. It's like all these people likely heard about Dwarf Fortress and have been interested in it. But now it's like, okay, this is now palatable to my brain where I can yeah. get along with yeah. it. It was just inaccessible for one reason or another. It, I have a question since since we're since you mentioned cats dying in taverns. Did, did have I told either of you the story about when babies mind controlled their mothers to death? Uh uh. No. I feel like yes, that does ring a bell actually. Not well, not for it, me. If, if Jess hasn't heard it, I'll, I'll I'll tell it real quick. Um there there was a a bug in the last major release. Not so like not this one, but like the one before, which was 47.0.5. I think at the time it was 47.0. Not it was like four point one or something. Um. Anyway, it, uh, but anyway, it's uh, the last major release had a bug where they changed how mounts worked. So like enemies can have mounts, right? And there's a whole other mode to Dwarf Fortress, which nobody, I guess, who has this version has played yet, which is Adventure Mode. And they added mounts to Adventure Mode. Um. And so essentially, you can like you can mount horses, you can ride elephants, you can ride giant cougars, you can ride giant anything or whatever. You can ride a giant chinchilla, I guess, and go maul a bunch of dwarves to death. Uh, you, you can and you can tame animals and ride them essentially. Uh, and in order to do this, they had to change the way the AI works. So the way they did it previously was the the code was set up so that the creature that was underneath, so the mount itself, was the one driving, and then the one on top was just along for the ride. Was the way it was initially. Um, but they changed it in that version so that it flop it flips, so the person on top could drive, so the player could be on on, on a mount. Um, which was fine for all of the invading AI because instead of like, like if you say you're getting attacked by an army of goblins that are riding on beak dogs, which is their most common mount, um, then when, when they're coming towards you, um, it's just the goblins driving, so it's fine. Instead of the beak dogs driving, they all have the same goal, which is kill all the dwarves, so it's, that's not an issue. And, uh, and, you know, in adventure mode, it was totally fine. But when mothers have babies, uh, the first year the baby can't walk. They can crawl, so they lie on the ground and they crawl around. But they have no AI, so they will just walk away from food and starve to death. So the issue was, uh, when they swapped the AI, mothers would carry their babies. So the mothers previously were driving, but now that the baby was, according to the game, mounted on the mother, the baby was driving. So <laughs> when... Yes, I see where this is going. <laughs> so there was a period where having a baby was an instant death sentence. Because the... It was just a curse to just wander in circles until you starved to death because you'd starve to death in three months. And um, it took a year for the babies to grow up. So when moms had babies, we had very brief, like, um, uh, basically, almost like, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like lockdowns for them where we would put them into alert zones where they were <laughs> left on a stockpile full of food. Baby alert, <laughs> baby alert. <laughs> So we would just basically lock the mothers in a room with the babies on their heads, just like zombifyingly walking around, hoping that they'd walk over the barrel that had alcohol in it when they got thirsty. Oh my gosh. Otherwise, mom would just die. And like, there's just these mothers like thirsty and hungry, just like crawling around with these babies on top. <laughs> anyway, after some hysterical laughter at a lot of dead forts, I got patched out in about five days, but. Was, oh, uh, just five days. Yeah, about five days. It was a very, there was a lot of ha 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 ha. That's very funny in the uh, patch notes, but yeah. <laughs> it, 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 
you know, it's it's funny because like like there was some crashes in the initial version like on day one, but I from what I can tell, a lot of it has been fixed now. Um, and the 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 thing that's funny to me about it is like there's nothing crazy, like there's nothing super whack. Like I think maybe like the fishing thing with the agitation stuff is the only like wacky thing that's kind of happened, but even that's like you kind of expect to die in Dwarf Fortress, so nobody really, well, very few people like really realized that it was a bug, except for like more advanced players, right? But, like, for the majority of people, like, there really wasn't, I think, a lot of game-breaking things aside from crashes, which is normal. And Tarn and Zach are generally pretty good at finding those, locking them down, and getting them patched out. But there, there, there isn't anything, like, stupid like that. And I think that that, that just signifies that this is actually a really put, well-put-together release for Dwarf Fortress. Yeah. yeah, I, for one, am, like, very excited to play more. I, I've wanted to play all day, but I haven't because I need to get other stuff done. And I know, I just know if I open it up, it's going to be an all day thing. Like last night I opened the game and got to the menu and then I closed it. I was like, no, I won't go to bed till like 3 a.m. if I start this now. So that's, I guess I'll just wait. That's exactly how I've been feeling all week. Like I've only played Dwarf Fortress while on stream this week because I was like, I've got other things that I actually need to get done. <laughs> So I'm going to control myself, but you know what we finish, what, what I'm going to do when I finish this podcast, because it's the only thing work related thing that I need to do today is I'm going to play some Dwarf Fortress. Nice. And I'm going to play it real long. Yep. Are, are you yeah. recording anything or are you just playing no. it for you? <laughs> no, this is just <laughs> for me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I, Sounds like a good a, a date with yourself. And some dwarves. Yeah. Make sure you bring yeah. beer. I, 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 I just it's it's been really fun watching other people learn it, and also like even for me, like today I was messing around with stuff that like I know how it works or knew how it worked. I guess in the in the older versions of the game, minecarts, right? I I knew how they worked, but the way they worked previously was like if you wanted to build a minecart track, it was I think at most sixteen. Like I think at the the most tiles you could do at once was sixteen. And it was like you had to select the direction that the track would go, and there was no visual indication or difference between the different directions of the track. Like, I, I mean, it was like equal signs or like up down signs, but like there was no, you could sort of see the corners, but not really. And it was like north south track, okay, up, up, up this far, north south track, okay, up this far, okay, uh, north east track, okay, we're turning now, like east west track, okay, we're still turning now, west track, and like. Then you do have to do like east, west, up ramp <laughs> and stuff like that. And so I knew how they worked, but they were so bloody tedious that there's no way in hell I would ever actually like build them because they were just, I'd be fiddling with it for an hour and then they wouldn't work. And that would may just work for the worst stream content and was just more effort than I was willing to put into. And it's like, I know that there's incredible things you can do with minecarts. You know, like in portals, speedy thing go in, speedy thing come out. Mm -hmm. Put put heavy speedy thing in put heavy thing into minecart. Put push minecart down big hill, hit it into thing where uh, stuff will fly out of it and stuff will go flying. And if it's a <laughs> if that's a minecart filled with 150 short swords, you bet. Anything that minecart hits is going to explode into a thousand pieces. And it is f 
phenomenal some of the dumb things that you can do with minecarts in Dwarf Fortress. Like, if you have a minecart that goes down a hill and it goes through a trench with lava in it, it fills up with lava. Okay, so you go down a big hill, it, go, it goes through the trench with lava in it, and it hits a fortification. And then the lava sprays everywhere, and you're like, now we're cooking with magnets. And that's, that's like, just some of the stuff that you can do with minecarts. So even I'm, like, sitting here, like, agitated and excited going, oh, my God, I get to go actually mess around with these mechanics that theoretically I understand how they work, but I just couldn't be asked to because it was just too much effort. So, like, it's it's even, like, affecting me in a way. Like, I'm sitting here going, like, man, I just want to keep playing that for that <laughs> today. But, like, also at the same time, I, I'm I'm just so happy to see other people feeling that way, too, I guess. Yeah, it's awesome. But uh, is there anything else that we kind of want to say to close up these this big old wall of Dwarf Fort talk, I guess? No, I think I'm. Uh, I think I'm ready to move on. I I want to say, okay. um, it's awesome. Go try it. Two thumbs up. Maybe three. Three thumbs up. Okay, we'll have to find a third thumb somewhere. It's okay. I'm sure I chopped one off somewhere. It's probably in a refuse pile. All right. Well, we're gonna go to a real quick break, and when we come back from that, we're gonna be doing a little bit of a recap of trailers from the Game Awards. I'm sure that'll be fun. And uh, right after this. Well, hi there. I'm FG, and you can find me over on twitch.tv slash FG squared Mondays through Fridays at 9 a.m. BST, which is 4 a.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Central European time. And we play loads of different games, indie games, AAA games, things you have heard of, things you haven't heard of. Uh, it is also not my birthday. This is not a cult. And elephants are pretty cool animals. If you want to know what the heck that means, come and find out. See you on Twitch. All right, everybody, we are back. And this is, once again, episode 47 of the Halcyon Frequency Podcast. And uh, we're going to do, like, a little bit of a kind of a, a recap of the Game of Awards. Uh, Jeff Keighley's meme-tastic adventure that happens once a year where they talk about video games and give a bunch of games that probably deserve an award, but maybe not all of the awards to all the big expensive games that, you know, are fine. Uh, but we're going to be talking through the trailers and games that were announced because that's kind of, I think, what we care about here uh, in this little group of people on this here podcast. So um, we're going to kind of wander through the the announcements that matter to us. So we're not going to be mentioning everything, but just the stuff that we care about. Um, so I'm going to start off because the first one on this list here on Slash RPC Gaming's recap is uh, Returnal, uh, which was a, uh, a PlayStation exclusive. And this is brought to you by Housemark, a little Finnish developer. And uh, I am keen on this because I don't own a PlayStation and PlayStations are expensive, so are TVs. And I really wanted to play Returnal when I first saw it. I don't know if this is something I'll stream or if it's just something I'll play on my own time, but I've been listening to the soundtrack for it. I've watched a bunch of it. The visuals in that game are incredible. And, you know, I, I like run-based action games and that's what this is. So I would really like to see kind of a triple-A budget on a run-based action game, and uh, especially in kind of that... Housemark has a style. It's very glowy, very colorful, very bullet-helly, lots of explosions, and very pretty, so I want to play that because I have a better graphics card now, and uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Um, 
to nice. should should I just like rattle off the next one that I'm interested in because it's the next one on the list? Hundred percent, fly into it. <laughs> okay, Atomic Heart um, has a launch date, which is February twentieth, and they have a uh, a new trailer out. Uh, Atomic Heart is the one the game that was above Dwarf Fortress on the wish lists on Steam until the day before Dwarf Fortress came out, where Dwarf Fortress passed it. So I guess it's currently I guess the thirteenth most wish listed game on Steam. Um, and uh, Atomic Heart is a first-person shooter in kind of a post-apocalyptic Soviet nightmare style and uh, looks really cool. I mean, up until now, the only stuff in trailers has really been um, uh, just like some boss fight footage. So not a whole lot, so we have a more expanded trailer now, and it, it looks really cool. I'm very curious to see what that game actually ends up being. Um, more just fascinated by it than actually playing it necessarily, but curious as heck about that one. Um, Jess, you were interested in Replaced, which I think is coming up next. Um, yeah, so that is a 2.5D sci-fi retro-futuristic action platformer. That's a mouthful. Um, I was saying earlier, I have no idea like if this is a game that I would actually like to play, but the graphics look amazing. They just look like mind-blowingly stunning, and the trailer just captivated me. And so it's on my wish list now, just because I at least want to experience this art. Yeah, l- looking at it, I feel like this is one that, uh, like, Kiri and FG would complain about motion sickness because I was watching. Oh the yeah, there's some screen we, shake. Like, yeah, there, there's some screen shake, and there's like some dynamic camera angle stuff going on, especially in the combat that I think might even make me vomit. But yeah, no, <laughs> they they're doing some things with like particle effects and lighting and depth of field and camera angles, but like also with like that flat pixel art look that just looks rad. Yeah, it, look, it looks stunning. Like I don't I don't know if I'd actually play it, but I just I just want to watch it be played or something. It's so gorgeous. Yeah. Mm. Uh the next the next one on here is um on the topic of stunning art style, so it fits real well is Hades 2. Yeah. Hades 2. So this is the um a sequel to the original Hades by Supergiant Games and I don't I'm not totally like um read up on Greek lore but I think you're playing like a different pantheon or something in this one so it's you're still like in that universe but it's just and you're still um like communicating with the gods that the original Hades communicated with are like the characters in Hades communicated with, um, but just a different pantheon. And it looks really great, like still nice, smooth slice and dice. I haven't beat Hades, so it's too hard. <laughs> I've not played it. I've I've watched lots of it and I love the soundtrack to it. I enjoy the art style. I've not played it though. This may be my kind of um, motivation to actually go out and actually play it before the second one comes out but uh, yeah it does look good so I'm going to be a bad person and have an unpopular opinion here and be super selfish I am pissed that they're making a sequel to Hades like I verbally cursed out loud when they made a, when they announced this when I saw it pop up in, in this like last night when I was going to bed and the reason is I, I adore Supergiant games I absolutely love bastion which is their first game it's one of my one of my favorite experiences ever was sitting on the sofa with my ex-girlfriend just like passing the controller back and forth like playing through that game the the soundtrack of it the way it played it was like a slower action game that wasn't too difficult to play through 
It was super chill, had a great story, and wonderful. Every, like Everything about it was wonderful. I loved that game. Um, their second game, um, which was, uh, for some reason, I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but uh, was kind of more of a cyberpunk turn-based thing, which I or pseudo-turn-based real-time action game, which I really enjoyed as well, uh, played through the entirety of it as well, and also has a gorgeous soundtrack, was super accessible and very playable, and I really, really liked it. Didn't play Pyre when it came out, which was their third game, but played it uh, about a couple years after, also with my uh, ex-girlfriend at the time. And uh, we loved that game as well. The story and writing were incredible. It was almost more of a, a visual novel than a game with like some gamey elements to it and some adventure game elements and some point-and-click elements. Super cool, great writing, incredible lore. And then Hades comes out. And it's a fast-paced action game with twitchy controls that I can't discern here from there in and literally can't play because it's so fast and visually complex and they have an accessibility mode that you can turn on if you want where every single time you play through it um you get stronger and it plays more like a linear rpg that way and i find it really really boring to play that way because the result is instead of me getting to play through a satisfying video game i have to bash my forehead against the first boss until i just have enough health that it doesn't matter that i'm getting hit by all of the aoe attacks and then bash my head against the second boss until I'm just strong enough. And I just, I, it, it, st it started feeling meaningless and awful because it's not the type of game that I can physically play. And I'm so sad that I'm not going to get a different Supergiant game. It's just another game that I can't play. That's yeah, fair. That makes sense. I'm so bummed by this. I was hoping they'd go to like something that was slower paced and more lore heavy again, but... Like, I never thought that I'd be mad that I'm happy that a studio is successful, but, like, fuck, like, why can't you make something that I can play again? <laughs> God. I mean, the Hades is, is tough, like, mechanically, but also visually. It is really hard to follow. I struggle like, with I, it. I haven't gotten it, past the second zone. It, it is a tough game, and I want to play it. <laughs> They, what, the only way I would be able to play that is if they literally had, like, uh, a game that I really like is called Brigador, and it has a setting which is game speed. You can literally, like, slow the game down and play mm. it in slow motion. I would need a game speed setting to play Hades. Yeah. And, I, I would probably use that as well. I, I mean, I don't typically find myself playing games like that that are kind of in the, I don't, I don't know, like, would you call it a, a bullet hell sort of genre? I, I don't know. Well, it's more um, of an action. It's like an act twitchy action RPG kind of. Yeah. Um, it's just I don't I don't typically enjoy them that much, and that's kind of why I've not played Hades myself because I'm worried that I won't actually like it, and I'll have enjoyed watching it and listening to it more than I'll actually enjoy playing it. It's just not normally the type of game that I indulge in. But yeah, I don't know. I'll. Maybe I'll play it. Maybe I won't. I'm not I sure. I actually find Hades to be really interesting because I watched some YouTube video about the way that they wrote the script for the game. And it's, it was really, really interesting. So, like, everything in the game is voice acted, like, fully voice acted. And so it's got, it has this massive script. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I really respect the game just for that, like, how deep the script goes. And, like, you, you as the player don't always come across it. It just depends on, like, how yeah. you encounter things and the choices that you make, you know? Like, you can encounter the entire script, but playing through the story into the end, like, you might not. 
And so it is really, really kind of impressive. Also, the voice acting is just so good. I love listening to that game just for like the like breathy, like, I don't know, like so good. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that I I love to point out about um, Hades and Supergiant games in general is Greg Kasavin, who's um, the one of one of the founders of Supergiant games was a games journalist at GameSpot before he co-founded that studio and went off to go make those games, and he does all of the writing on it. Oh, so when people talk right. smack about games journalists, I'm just like, yeah, well, you need to realize that, like, you know that Hades that you love? <laughs> Dude <laughs> reviewed video games before he did that. Um, but, yeah, no, it's... Uh, the writing in their games are, is, is genuinely incredible, and it's, like, largely the the core of that team hasn't changed, like... It's still like the same art people. It's the, it's the same guy does who's done all of their soundtracks. And I think I'm pretty sure the guy who does the soundtracks also does a lot of voice acting in their games too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, like they're they're like a genuine gorgeous success story. That it's 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 wonderful to see the stuff that they've done. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to the soundtrack of this, and I'm looking forward to watching other people play it. But just sad I won't be able to play it myself. Yeah. Uh, the next one here is Judas. I've been talking too much. Jess, do you want to take this one? Me? Or Drongo. Either way. The Go ahead, Jess. Uh, okay. Tries to find tabs. <laughs> I was I was I mean, over I can, here looking at uh Hades the voice cast. <laughs> ah, yes. Well, here, I'll, I'll take it. So th- this is um, from Ghost Games, uh, which is founded by Ken Levine, who uh, famously of Irrational Games who um, were with Bioshock, essentially. Uh, many of you uh, may re- remember uh, Bioshock Infinite. Uh, one of the level designers, um, little code junkie uh, named uh, Tynan Sylvester, went on to go make RimWorld afterwards. Um, but uh, so um, Ghost Games is the, the, the studio that Ken Levine founded after, uh, 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 after Bioshock Infinite, after they laid everybody off, including Tynan Sylvester. Uh, and they've been like doing weird skunk works things for ages and like haven't said anything in like 10 years. And then now they announce a game that literally just looks like Bioshock in space, but doesn't look like System Shock. And so I'm kind of mad, but also kind of interested. I was really hoping that it was going to be a Bioshock um, prequel. I mean, it might be. Look, look at the art style. It might be. It very much might be. Like, the way that the trailer starts, you know, like, I, uh, it's been so long since I played Bioshock, I can't remember what the the weapon is called. Oh, God. Um, Something morphs. But the thing that lets you shoot bees out yeah, of Yeah, that. Hand. So, like, the, the <laughs> you can see in, like, the camera, it's first person, but, like, they're, like, shooting things out of their hands like that. So I was like, oh, this is gonna be, mm-hmm. you know, like, Rapture before before the Rapture and Rapture. Gosh, what is it called? I can't find the the name of it. I'm looking it up, but I don't know. I'm just kind of sad that it just looks like the same thing. I, I like new things. I don't like repeating the same things, so I'm like less excited about this than I would be if it looked com- than I would have been if it looked completely different. I think. Yeah, I, I I feel pretty neutral about this one. Like I. I have to confess that I've played, let me see, 50 minutes of Bioshock and I've not played any of the others. Um, System Shock is better. <laughs> I have heard that. I've also not played it. Um, 
I don't know. I, I just, yeah, it's just not something that is something that I would normally jump at. But I'm interested to see what it ends up actually being in reality when it gets closer to release. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about Death Stranding 2? I feel like that's SFG's thing. Yeah, right. I don't have anything to Besides say about Death Stranding. Death Stranding 2 was announced. Really anything about it. I just, I like that Norman Reedus leaked this thing like six months ago on a podcast where he was just like, yeah, they invited me back to make the second <laughs> one. Just kind of bluntly like, oh yeah, no, we're working. Somebody asked him, they're like, oh yeah, it was, it was like completely unrelated. It was like a movie podcast or something. They're like, yeah, I know, how's the gigs been? He's like, oh, you know, I did the video game stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, how's the video game stuff? He goes, oh yeah, no, it's great. We're, I'm back in the studio. We're working on the second one. <laughs> Is Death Stranding the walking simulator game? Yes. It, it's, it's the backpacks and falling down hills game. The backpack game. and, yeah. Yeah, and gotcha. babies. Okay. With the P-bombs. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And monster okay. energy. Yep. Yeah. You turn your urine into monster energy, which is the factual thing in that game. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3 has Yay! a release date. Yes, Baldur's Gate 3 has a release date, and I'm... I'm well, very, a release well, window. I'm cautiously excited about this one. I've been waiting for a long time, and I know a lot of people in the community have been waiting a long time for this 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 game. Um, so I'll be very happy to see when it releases, and hopefully it's everything that we hope it will be. Well, we have a pretty good idea though, because it is an early access, but I hope it lands well. I have not touched it. I'm pretty sure that we own it. Me neither. But I have not, I haven't tried it, because I just want to experience it yeah same i'm i'm in that boat where i'm like uh, if i'm going to do this i'm go i want to get the full the full experience the first time around yep no that that checks out um can't wait so i'm excited about this one and i know that drongo's excited about this one uh but uh please don't be shit warhammer forty thousand space how are there two. so many warhammer games because the because license costs peanuts. <laughs> yeah. There's like popular. literally 50 million studios that have got the IP to make games for it. So it's a whole thing. Apparently so. I, uh, an indie dev friend of mine was just like, I mean, I wonder how much it would cost to make a Warhammer game. I just like did some research and came back like two hours later. It was like, you know, I looked it up. It would be cheaper than getting, it would be cheaper for him to buy the license by himself to make a Warhammer game than it would be for him to get a publishing deal. Like the cut that Devolver would take from a publishing deal would be worse than the amount of money he would have to spend to buy a license to self-publish a Warhammer game. Okay, well, I guess that makes sense. Mm. But like, that's kind of nuts. But I, I, I played the first one. And I loved it once, ages ago. It was great. That was a, like excellent eight and a half hours or however much, however long that game was. Um, mm. And uh, I don't think I've played a third person shooter I've enjoyed as much as that since. Yeah, so, neither. Yeah. I mean, it, it was really, it was just, it was just a Gears of War clone, but like you're fighting a bajillion orcs with a space marine and a chain sword. I don't know. I, I think it's unfair to classify it as a clone because, I mean, I've played the Gears of War games and it's definitely, it, it definitely wasn't a cover-to-cover third-person shooter like Gears of War is. 
It, it was um, the anti-cover third-person shooter because your cover sure. isn't cover. You're a space marine. Run faster <laughs> yeah, exactly. and shoulder check a fucker and then stab yeah. him in the head. <laughs> um, I, look, I think the first game was amazing. It kind of really encapsulated kind of the whole feel and aesthetic incredibly well. And um, the 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 storyline was not the longest. Like you said, I think, yeah, about eight or nine hours. I think my first playthrough probably took me about 12, but I, I'm i also a big believer in the fact that a game doesn't need to be hundreds of hours of you know length long to play through. Like 10 hours is fine as long as it's quality and the yeah. timing is good uh, and the, the pacing of it all works, then I'm totally okay with it. And the gameplay is fun. And the, the fact that gameplay in of itself is really, really fun is the reason why I've gone back and I've finished it, I think, two more times since. Um, it is just a, a really solid game. And I am I love that universe and I really want the second one to be good. I'm, I'm really praying it is. Uh, it looks good. It looks good from the trailers. The, the gameplay uh, trailer that they released for this does look positive. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm cautiously again optimistic this might be okay, and it is it is Saber Interactive working on this, which is uh, you know a studio that like has put out some really good things and also some kind of middling things, but like I feel like at least recently Saber's been hitting more than it's been missing, and that's yeah I th- think a pretty good sign on that mm-hmm. front really. So um, fingers crossed on that one. And then uh, last but not least, I think the last one that we have here to mention is Armored Core uh, Six. Um, which some of you young children out there might not realize that From Software has made other video games in the past, but um, this is a From Software uh, mecha franchise. Um, I played older for Armored Core. I couldn't even tell you which ones uh, on friends' consoles back in the day. Um, I also played Chrome Hounds, which was another one that they did, um, and uh, mostly at my cousin's house. And it, by played, I mean like I watched my cousin play it and went, ooh, ah, explosions. And then every now and again, he'd hold me, hand me the controller for a minute and I'd immediately die. And then he'd take it back from me and go back to playing. Um, but it was, it, it's a, a really neat series of mecha games that are really flashy and explody. And it, it's, I'm excited to just, I'm, prob- I'm probably not going to play it, but I like mechs. And so I'm just really excited to see every single human on earth stream a From Software game that isn't a Dark Souls style <laughs> of action game. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, that might be enough to get me in on uh, actually playing it, to be honest, because I've n- never played a single FromSoft game. So who knows? Big um, robots. Yeah. I mean, this was the game that kind of slipped under my radar until yesterday when I was streaming. I was like, oh, you know, what what stood out to people from you know the, the Game Awards? And everybody was like, oh, yeah, Armor Core. I'm like, Armor Core? I don't... I didn't even, I didn't really even pay attention to it like it just it was just like uh, you know I I guess my eyes kind of glazed over um but I'm also not kind of the target audience for giant fighting robot mecha stuff as well like it's not something that I've got a a, a history of being like super into same um, and I also don't have the gaming pedigree to have played any of the previous games so I just wasn't really paying attention but um a lot of people seem to be excited about this one yeah no, it's 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 certainly going to be interesting. I mean, the the trailer looks great. I mean, it's it's very much a like a, an animated trailer. There's not mm. really gameplay in there, but you know, it's they're fast mechs. They're not slow mechs. They're like the dashy kind of booster kind of jumpy mechs. Not so much the mech warrior where it's like 
I'm going to walk towards you, and in five minutes, I will hit you in the head. <laughs> um, it's not not the slow Western mechs, which admittedly, that was my stuff when I was little. Like, I loved Mech Warrior. I love Mech Warrior 5 Mercenaries, even though that's like maybe a 7 out of 10 game. Um, I, I really like the Mech Warrior games, um, but uh, the the more Japan-focused mecha games are definitely much more action-oriented but still mm-hmm. kind of the similar levels of like, I'm going to go in and tweak every single variable about the way this mech works to, so I can get more boost or so that I can get more jump height or so that I can get longer arms or so that my leg won't explode. Um, and it's <laughs> it's very much like a very granular, not ma- management game is the wrong word, but very granular action game about customizing your kit and yeah, that's building cool. your mech. So curious to see what that ends up looking like in the modern era but i think that kind of brings us to the end of this year episode of the halcyon frequency podcast so let's start at the bottom and work our way up jess who are you and where can people find you on the internet uh right here apparently also um i realized that we neglected just to to introduce me earlier <laughs> well, I <said> jess is here <laughs> I don't, I don't think I forgot to introduce you at the beginning. I, I didn't say your full name. I didn't say, whoa, That's Jess. That's me. But... Yes. Hi, yes. Whoa, Jess. Welcome you to the podcast. You can find me here on I the podcast and on Twitch, whoa underscore Jess, and on um, YouTube and Twitter and Discord and Taosium Frequency. Bloody Drongo, who are you and where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I, uh, you can find me over on Twitter as at the bloody Drongo, all one word and, uh, bloody Drongo, all one word on Twitch. And, uh, I'm blind. You can find me at blind IRL on almost everything. Uh, screw Twitter. And you can find me at, uh, B-L-I-N-D-I-R-L at mass.to, which is the Mastodon instance that I live on. And um, if you want to, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to find more episodes of this podcast, you can find it at halcyonfrequency.com or a organically harvested podcast platform of your choice. Uh, and uh, just wanted to say thank you to Peter Pohl and Paul Mile for the lovely intro and outro music. And uh, if this podcast uh, doesn't get served to you on a, pod pa- plas- pla- on a podcast platform that you use, uh, please join the Halcyon Frequency Discord and let us know where you would like it to show up. Also on our Discord, we have... Uh, a place for you to discuss the podcast and you can find links to the discord on our website halcyonfrequency.com thank you very much for listening to this episode new episodes go live every Sunday and until next week don't change that dial this is Halcyon Frequency signing off <laughs>